Welcome. Welcome to another episode of the Impact of AI, sponsored by AI Time Journal and supported by WILDA, Women Leaders in Data and Artificial Intelligence. Every week we explore how AI and cognitive technologies impact us daily, both professionally and personally. For those of you who I've not met, my name is Melissa Drew and I will be your host for this week's podcast. This week, we are fortunate that Maria Vora was able to carve out some time today and talk to us. Maria is just recently, and when I say just recently, meaning this year, March of 2021, has retired from 26 years at the FBI as the chief data officer. She is now taking that knowledge and expertise with her to KPMG. Welcome, Maria. Hey, Melissa. It's nice to be here. You know, I, I, I checked you out on LinkedIn. I wasn't stalking you, but I checked you out on LinkedIn and in preparation. And I saw that early in your career, electrical engineer, you did that for quite, you know, quite a few years before you moved into you know, where you kind of your path in, at the FBI. So one of the things that we explore early on is that every single person never has a direct path in their journey from where they begin to where they end is always this winding road. So I'd love to go back to the beginning of your journey and understand how you went from where you were in the 1980s, 1990s mm -hmm. to suddenly retiring, you know, this year from the FBI. I would love to. Um, it's one of my favorite subjects is kind of explaining and, and I guess challenging young people to realize that careers are not as linear as, as people think. Mm -hmm. um, when I graduated uh, college, all I wanted to do was kind of have a really good job. Um, and I started out at the Naval Research Lab working for the Department of Navy. And I loved it. Um, I got to do a lot of hands-on programming, some hands-on systems integration and building. It was very exciting. You know, a lot of young people, a lot of really great ideas, a, a lot of supporting the mission directly. You know, we actually supported the, um, the, the, the ships and the seamen, um, you know, every day. <laughs> loved it. Uh, as time went on, I, I realized I wanted more. And I said, you know, it'd be nice. I'm having fun building uh, new systems, code, integrating, problem solving. But I want to do a little bit more. I want to learn about the management side, the program management side. Had the great opportunity. FBI was hiring uh, individuals to work with their new um, integrated automated finger, um, fingerprint system, hmm. IAPIS, and to go to West Virginia, of all places, going from D.C. to, to Clarksburg, West Virginia. <laughs> and people would say, why do you want to leave D.C.? And I said, well... Um, you know, it's, it's an interesting new job. It's an opportunity to let me try it. And, and I did. Uh, it was probably one of the best, you know, one of the many great career moves. I won't say the best, but one of the many ones that just were just very fulfilling. My family and I relocated to Clarksburg, West Virginia, and I spent 17 years working for the FBI out there, helping them to build uh, systems that serve law enforcement. Uh, you'll see them on those, you know, the TV shows like CSI and such, you know, <laughs> oh, we're doing an APHIS search. We were part of that. We were part of the, the group of engineers, um, of the system program managers that actually took us from the age of paper fingerprint cards to automation. And it was a thrilling time to be there, to watch that automation, to watch the analytics going into that digitization of fingerprint cards and the analysis. And so I was able to use my engineering to do that. It was exciting. Um, and I continued doing that for years. Every time there were new systems that the FBI needed to de deliver, services to the law enforcement community. Um, I was there with a group of other engineers and program managers to do it. Uh, after about 17 years, uh, you know, 
I kind of had done everything I could see to do, and I was ready to move up in my management career. Uh, and at that point, I the FBI offered to gave me the opportunity again. I came back to headquarters here in DC, and I had the the privilege of working with our intelligence systems and doing the same thing, helping to build better systems and integrate them for our intelligence community. Um, never intended to be a CDO. Never <laughs> thought that was even possible. Looking back, I, I think it was a lark. Um, when the posting came up, uh, I was at a point where I was very uh, opinionated and very strong-minded about what we needed to do to make the data better in the FBI. I had talked to a lot of people, having had worked the law enforcement side, the intelligence side. I knew where we had problems. I knew where our, our people in the field were struggling. And so when the posting came up, I, I did it as much to get a, um, a forum for, for expressing where I felt we had needs and where we should go as a job. I guess I did a great job in my interview when I expressed those needs because I got the job. Uh, and the next four years of my career and the last four I spent in the FBI were never a dull moment. I got to work with some amazing people. I mean, my whole career I got to work with amazing people, but I really got to do what I love best, which is working with our, our end users, working with our, our people in the field, our analysts, our scientists, our, our uh, agents to understand their problems and try to solve them. Uh, so, you know, did I solve them all? No. Uh, I think if any CDO says they can go in and solve all the problems, uh, they must have a really big budget and a lot of people because um, if you if you worked in any federal agency or any company, you realize the data problems are usually a lot larger than the budget or the resource they provide you. Hmm. So you have to prioritize. Um, but that's my career. Uh, from the engineer helping the Navy integrate systems to you know trying to get and uh, deliver better services for the FBI uh, field. I want to touch on the, the earlier part of your career with the, the APHIS fingerprint database. So for example, I, I got into cognitive technologies in 2004 and I didn't even recognize that it was cognitive technologies until mm -hmm. probably five years ago when the term started to, to be coined and it was you know, defined by the industry. So I'm, I'm interested because you were doing this even before I was getting into you know, cognitive mm -hmm. technologies. Were those types of technologies being applied to the data? Because there's got to be something that takes the data and then synthesizes it and then pulls it together so that you can, the system can make those meaningful connections with the, the fingerprints, right? Yeah, it, it does. Um, so it, it wasn't the cognitive technologies that we know today. Mm -hmm. um, at that time, it, I call, I'll, I'll tell people it was pure math. It was okay. taking um, images of, of fingerprints, which the science of fingerprinting, it, you can look it up, it's been around since probably, well, since the Egyptian times, but actually the 1800s, they really started standardizing. I mean, the FBI has built um, a reputation on establishing the fingerprint standards. And so what we did was we took something that is a defined science of whorls and loops, arches, and started digitizing it and doing asking different vendors. We had different vendor trade-offs to say, tell us different ways to measure accuracy, um, you know, distance from one line to another, the way it's arched, the angles, whatever they could come up with. Mm -hmm. And the accuracy was measured against humans. We had 2,500 fingerprint examiners at the time. 
Um, and so those were the best in the world. We were training all the law enforcement agencies in the world. And so as the computer algorithms were producing results, we had humans validating everything. So it was really taking algorithms mm -hmm. and doing what we today. I mean, I, I kind of laugh today when they talk about machine learning and yeah. AI. We were doing that back then in, in the remedial. You know, they always say AI has been around forever. It's basically taking and having computer to do an algorithm with a human validating and then continually testing and revalidating. And, and so, you know, we, the FBI had been doing that um, for, for a very long time with, mm -hmm. with IAFIS and then the next generation identification. Uh, so it wasn't that, that cognitive we think today where it was the computer doing all the work. Mm -hmm. It was a, lot, a long journey of validating algorithms and processes. Um, to this day, you know, you, you can probably look up on various uh, congressional hearings and such, you know, the percentage of accuracy and, and the automation, but it, it was a long path. So beginnings, beginnings of cognitive. Yeah. Um, no, I, 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 yeah, cause that's, that's really what un underneath the visual models is, is the algorithm, the mathematical algorithms. Mm -hmm. I mean, who knew you had to be good in math, you know, that math was going to come back and play into my life. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, um, and, and that's what we, I think one of the things that drew me to that project is, mm -hmm. you know, I was working the system engineering component of it because I love solving problems. Yeah. And I got to sit next to some very brilliant um, individuals in various companies and organizations and at NIST who were looking at those algorithms and, and, and validating them and figuring out how to make them better, um, how to make them human, you know, to the point where a human could do it. Uh, and eventually the algorithms did get there uh, for most of the work, mm -hmm. but they've never been able to eliminate the human completely, as we now know in, in explorations of AI. You know, removing the human is not what AI is meant to do. AI yeah. is to help the human so that the humans can do the harder problems. Yeah, yeah. I'm a total advocate of that. Do the, the, the tactical activities, the, the human in interaction, um, really looks and understands the context of the data. Mm -hmm. They're the ones that makes the decisions based on the data. And because the augmentation is there, the, the human is now able to do the more value added activities. Exactly. Yeah. So freeing up individuals from really trying to figure out the fingerprinting and actually spending more time doing some of the value activities they needed to do in law enforcement. Right. Yeah. And if, if we take that, you know, throughout my career, that was kind of the, the start. But take that and think of every business process you have mm -hmm. um, and all the data. And, and so, you know, not going into details, the many different business processes, the many different types of data the FBI has, that's where my kind of the, the curiosity and the engineer came in. I moved from system to system, uh, problem to problem, uh, trying to understand and solve another data problem. And, and, you know, going back to why did I go to be CDO is that was when I look back, that was probably it. I had gone through my career so many times looking at problems related to data that you know we call them system problems or business process problems or improvements. And they were really data problems. Mm -hmm. um, the data wasn't clean, the data wasn't there, the data wasn't understood. Um, and so you know that built on my career in going into um, being the CDO. So then the last four years, let's mm -hmm. so we'll folk, we'll shift now to the last four years where you've been the advocate of data and data confidence, maybe not so much as accuracy, but really it's, it's driving the confidence in, mm -hmm. in the data. 
you've listed yourself as more of a, a data strategist. Yes. So if we take the last four years with your role as the chief data officer, can we, uh, can we maybe unpack a little bit more about what your definition of a data strategist is? Sure. Um, so I see a data strategist as following the same path as, as I followed as, a, as a, a system engineer, as a designer, I keep repeating that. The same traits I learned there, uh, I applied as a CDO. First off, you need to understand you know, what are your requirements? What, what are you being asked to do, really? Because um, I will tell you of all the CDOs I've met, both in industry and government, no two CDOs are given the same problem, the same real detailed problem. They have the same broader problem, establish enterprise data management, establish a data science program, establish analytics, make the data more uh, reliable, more usable, quality but each agency has different mission goals and objectives. And that was the first thing, understanding what did the agency want from me as a CDO? What did the users really need from me as a CDO? You know, what were the gaps? What were the, the existing uh, capabilities and, and uh, maturity? And so I spent the, the first year or so gauging from past studies that had been done of what people had said was wrong with things uh, what they said we should be doing, and started formulating that in, in conjunction with the FBI director strategy to form the first data strategy. So laying out that strategy document and then proceeding to kind of just keep pulling those threads. What do the end users need? Who are your stakeholders? What resources do you have? So it's that strategy of planning, the strategy of building uh, towards something. Uh, and, and the idea that as you do that uh, foundational, You've got to find where can I actually make a difference? Where can I tactically move the, you know, they used to call it move the ball down the field. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so you, many uh, CDOs, most that I talk to, will find that people are like, you're not moving fast enough. I need all this. Build me services. Bring me AI. Um, you know, get me a whole contingent of whatever. And, and it's difficult because there's layers of doing. Um, in some places, it's, it's the workforce and the culture. You know, if you want to hire, uh, you know, you think you need more data scientists, they so can do AI. You can't go there until you find out, do I know where my data is and the quality of it? You know, what are the skill sets I'm looking for really in those uh, scientists? Um, if you are an agency that deals in a lot of sharing, you know, you've got to figure out, well, do I need to inventory my data so I know what I can share and when I can share it? Um, and so it's, it's, it's a problem solving kind of, that's why I call strategy is you follow that path of what is, how do I build those strategies? Um, and then you bring in others to help you actually implement and deliver services to address those, those strategic gaps that you've identified. You, you mentioned something that, that kind of made me think about an, an article that I read recently. Um, a company went out and surveyed the management, you know, anywhere from like a VP and above and then also in the same company surveyed the stakeholders, the individuals that are consuming the data. And what was interesting is when they said, you know, leadership, what do you think the top three goals are? It was a complete disconnect with mm -hmm. what the stakeholders said their top three goals were. So for example, innovation wasn't listed as one of the top three in the leadership, but the stakeholders innovation was number three. 
Um, so it was, it was really interesting to read that, that even now we still have this, this huge disconnect between yeah. what we think we should be doing versus what our stakeholders say they really need. Um, and you, you, you're smiling, so you must have come across this. You want to give us uh, examples or tell us a story? Um, uh, yes. How did um, you overcome it? You know, overcome it. So, yeah. so um, uh, both in the FBI and even in my work today, it's it's the idea of aligning those perceptions and those perspectives, mm-hmm. um, because um, not to tell tales on anyone anywhere, yeah. but. Yeah, executives have um, a perspective based on what they're seeing at their level. You know, they're getting their reporting up and they're saying, well, you know, it wouldn't be nice. People are always complaining we don't have enough resource. Wouldn't be nice if we applied uh, innovation technology to make it more efficient. So they're thinking of, I will buy something that will make this more efficient. And, And heavens knows there's enough vendors out there that want to sell them. You know, I can sell you AI, I can sell you this stuff. But you have to check the mid level. What are their real pain points? Is it they don't have enough resources or the right resources and start digging into that? What do they mean by that? And then lastly, talking to people who are actually working with the data hands-on, mm-hmm. what are their pains? Because um, what you can find sometimes is the executives perceive they need to move faster to keep up with the emerging technology. We need to be innovative. And to be innovative, we need to use AI. Um, to be innovative, we need to adopt, um, you know, a major data catalog or metadata management. They, they, they look at the, the buzzwords they hear kind of at these, these um, conferences. And, and so, and they're, and they're business minded. So this is more of the business mind. If, they're, if you're talking a company that, that lives in data, you know, like the Amazons and Googles, I don't think their executives have that problem. Right. Um, but if you're talking a company that probably doesn't, you know, deal in that, they're, they're dealing in something else or an agency, they're, they're going to have a perception of what they think that's make the be- business better. You have to check with the lowest level people working the data because they're going to tell you that the pain points they're seeing. Um, is the data coming in quickly enough? Are they having access to it? Is it cleansed when they get it? Is it formatted? Can they um, share it easily? Mm-hmm. Can they find it? And so that's where you start pulling threads. What are the pain points that are slowing down the people working with the data? Are they struggling because they don't have tools or skills? Um, are they missing technology, shared areas? So, you know, a lot, I've heard a lot of time in my career, oh, we'll just go get um, cloud technologies and we'll get these cool tools. And, and sometimes there's more basic of the people want it formatted. And once they figure out what that is, where the data, you know, where the data is coming and going from, basically data flows and architecture, mm-hmm. then we can determine what technologies we need. Um, so I'm kind of hitting all kinds of different paths, but it, it's the idea of hitting all three layers and so when the federal data strategy talked about doing a maturity assessment and work skills, workforce skills assessment, everybody goes, well, you know, how are we going to use that? Those were really important. Understanding where you are in the picture, you know, where you really are and where do you want to be in that picture? Where do you want to be on that maturity level? Um, if you recall uh, years ago out of Carnegie Mellon, they had the uh, uh, Software Engineering Institute. They did their CMI where they were giving, you know, um, grades and levels on your uh, software development processes. Mm-hmm. Same thing is with data management. You've got to know where you are. And just like they used to tell us with CMMI, you know, level five is not for everybody. It's very expensive. 
with data maturity assessments, level five is not for everybody. Where do you need to be and what can you afford? Um, and then, you know, run your, your skills assessment. What are the skills of your, your staff to do that, to achieve that, that maturity you want? So if, if I'm, if I'm a, a newly minted chief data officer and, and the scenario is that I've just been hired, this is the first official role of a chief data officer. I've been tasked with, okay, go build it. What would be the first three things I'd really need to, to think about? So the first thing I would figure out is why did they hire you? Why did they create a chief data officer? Mm -hmm. um, if you're newly minted, did they have one before you? And what didn't, why did that person leave? Did, did they not do something or did they get to a certain level where they, you know, moved on? Because a lot of times they say a chief data officer has about a two to four year span. Uh, but, but understand why that role exists and what they expected of you, why they hire you. Okay. Uh, so that's number one. Uh, number two is do your own assessment of going through talking to your, you know, your executives, the people you're held accountable to, the people you're working with, your peers, whether it's the chief financial officer, chief uh, information officer, you know, who are your peers? Who, who, who are the team you're going to be working with? And then quickly identify who are you serving? You know, who, hmm. who, who are the, the people below you? And I always talk, talk about in terms of service, you know, because uh, wherever you are, you're serving somebody. Uh, a CDO um, is not serviced. They provide services. So who are you, who are you doing this for? Uh, and once you have that, you can then figure out what, what needs to be done. You can lay out your plans. Yeah, I think the third one would be the most challenging. It is, but... Um, because we talked about earlier, you've got leadership who mm -hmm. has a very specific point of view, but then you've got the consumers of the data who are need the data in a certain way so that they can make those better informed decisions. I, I could see that that role being very um, stretched. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yes. yes. Um, it, it usually takes a little longer to find out who you're serving, mm -hmm. um, who really serving as a chief data officer. Um, you will have those that will come to your door. The first thing you get into the office within your first two weeks, you will, you will have people that come right to you and tell you what you need to do. Mm -hmm. They will tell you what they don't have and what they expect you to do for them. Uh, and they may be the more vocal, but they may not be the ones that really um, need the most support. Uh, so it's, it's a lot of, uh, I've always believed in my career is, is getting out and talking to people. Mm -hmm. um, it, it does two things. It, it soundboards, are you on the right track? But it also allows you to hear what's out there. Um, so, you know, with any um, chief data officer, when you walk into the role, uh, if you're brand new to the, you know, if the agency is a brand new CDO, you have a big road ahead of you. You have to get that strategy in place. You have to get a lot of, you know, governance in place. There's, there's a whole uh, federal uh, data strategy che uh, checklist for, you know, a newly minted CDO for the first time in an organization. They, they pretty much tell you, you know, you will do these three things. Um, but if you're walking in already, it, it's assessing, you know, do you have those things and are you comfortable with them? Um, with, with your new role, so you, you, congratulations again. Uh, for you. that's, I think anybody who's done, done that for 26 years, we should be congratulating you for again and again and again. Yes. 
for, for everything that you've just outlined, the strategy, the knowledge, the expertise, everything that you've done in the past um, for your career, all of that is what you're bringing, all that value is what you're bringing now to your new role. Correct. Uh, I, I, I bring what I know, what I've learned. Uh, I will never say that I know everything. You know, I love talking. Yeah. Uh, anyone who knows <laughs> me will realize that. Uh, but I'm also a perpetual learner. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I, I still continue with the same mindset I started um, when I started working 34 years ago is I'm here to serve. Uh, so I, I take to my new role, my knowledge, and my expertise. Uh, at the same time, um, having spent all my life in the federal government, uh, being a consultant is so new. Uh, so I'm learning, you know, uh, from my peers, new techniques. Um, I'm learning, you know, technologies and business. You know, I focus technology. Um, they're teaching me business, which is kind of fun. I'm teaching them uh, technology and data at times, uh, but. My main purpose for, for working um, w- with KPMG as I started there is to serve the government. Um, I work to help other federal agencies um, become better. And if it means I can help them on their journey and, and, and impart to them some of my lessons learned, both the good and the bad, um, because you know, was, was I you know, totally successful all the time as the FBI CDO? No, um, there were days where it was hard. There were days where I just didn't hit the mark, but we learn from those. And, and if I can help a, another um, federal CDO or, or their staff to you know, avoid those pitfalls or say, look out, this is what you need to watch out for. I, I've made my day, I, you know, I've done my job. I've been in data, well, ever since I went to college, my, my, um... My master's thesis in management information system was specifically around the theory and practicality of data. Um, so I've, I've been in the data area and I, I think that people who get excited about data or can sit here and talk about data and, and have a smile on their face are truly the ones who really need to be in that field. Yes. Um, for me, data was and still is empowering there's, there's not very many roles, I think, in an organization where you can truly say that I feel very purpose-driven in what I do on a day-to-day basis, that what I do, I can see not only this, what's in front of me, but I can see how I have an impact mm-hmm. on the larger organization. Yes. Um, and, and I know sometimes it's great that you have that perspective. Um, so many of our young um, data scientists, analysts, mm-hmm. you know, when they're working, uh, lose track of that. They're overwhelmed by the problem and the workload that they forget to step back and, and realize if not for them, the, you know, the new insights wouldn't come forth. Uh, because sometimes when you're, you know, the turtle at the bottom of the stack, mm-hmm. you, you forget that if you weren't there, um, the rest can't work. Yeah. Um, and, and so I, you know, I used to go out and talk to a lot of our um, uh, up and coming data scientists, data analysts, and, and encourage them, uh, you know, keep, keep striving, like you said, keep learning. Um, if, it, if you get tired of doing just one thing, there are so many other data um, related jobs, just, you know, take the classes, take the experience. Um, it, it's amazing when you, when you realize if you've been working with one kind of data or one process for a mm-hmm. while, you have understanding expertise that somebody else doesn't. You have an insight. 
Um, but I'm, I'm with you. Uh, I never realized it until probably the last five or six years, but yeah, data is exciting. Um, you know, it, it, my, my husband laughs at me sometimes, uh, you know, <laughs> how I get way too excited about it, but um, it, it's, it's always changing. Um, it, it is forever finding new purposes. Um, so, you know, you can figure out how to, to use it today and you'll have a whole new purpose tomorrow. Um, yeah. You know, as soon as you learn how to understand it, it will change on you and it will multiply or it'll, you know, get with something else and become new. Uh, so it, it's uh, it, definitely a lifelong adventure. Uh, you just have to kind of look for the adventure. Yeah. <laughs> no, that makes sense. I heard you mention data scientist and mm -hmm. And I, I'm, in, I'm curious because some of the folks I talk to, um, some corporations may have very two distinct roles, a chief data officer and a chief analytics officer. Yes. And I'm finding that a lot of the data scientists are really sitting under that chief analytics mm -hmm. role. But you said that you were speaking and doing, you were having conversations with those upcoming data scientists. Were those, were those also in, in like your, your CDO role? So um, as my role as CDO, uh, are, they, were, they were under me in terms of um, strategically and culturally. Mm -hmm. uh, at the time I was in the FBI, the data scientists were spread throughout the organization. Okay. Um, they were kind of like a population, a job series that was everywhere, but they didn't have a cohesive center. Um, mm -hmm. Like some job series will say, you know, a certain organization will own them all, will guide them in their career paths. Right. Uh, and at that time, we did not have that. And that was one of the, the, um, the gaps I saw. Right. To move forward, um, and, and it's one of the biggest things you'll see if you read the, um, the federal data maturity model, or if you look at areas, your workforce and culture are one of the key pieces uh, in an overall uh, enterprise data program or, or uh, data strategy. Just right there with your governance and your architecture standards, um, you, you have to follow the workforce. And so pulling together our data scientists, um, I actually was, um, I started up a whole uh, community of interest and then built it into a community of practice. Uh, because what we found is we had people who had job titles that weren't data job titles who were doing data analysis and data manipulation and cleansing. Um, and they needed, they had no identity. They had no one to talk to, to share their, 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 their pains, to share their, their trade. And so what we did was we started a community of interest within the FBI where we brought in um, some people who have the title of data scientists, some people who are formally trained, who've been working projects. And then we invited everyone else and we would have uh, monthly meetings where we would just go through different topics, different projects, um, talk about analytic methods, technologies, basically to allow a forum for the novice to the advanced to share um, and exchange and ask questions. You know, no question was a, was a dumb question. Um, and then what, what happened after about a year or so, we realized we were finding a smaller section of the experts and of the experts, some were called data scientists formally, others weren't. And so we formed a community of practice, which was honed on expertise. And it was a smaller, tighter group. And we were setting the best practices for the agency. 
um, and reaching out to other agencies. And, and I think that model, um, I mean, that was probably one of the most fulfilling parts of my role was building that community because um, sometimes you can't get everywhere. You can't deliver a service to everybody, right. but knowledge is a service that should never be underestimated. And um, sharing just that knowledge was, was huge. We saw so much in the, in the last three years of my um, job. I saw, saw so many different groups collaborating uh, and building services and systems. You know, I didn't take credit for it. I couldn't. I didn't build them. Their areas did. But it was because they partnered across the agency and they built amazing things. Um, they made amazing things happen. Um, and that was to me almost more important than building a, a central data lake or establishing a, a metadata standard for cataloging um, is the fact that, you know, you can do those other things and it'll help, but you can't start something where the, the knowledge is shared and you get collaboration and you get um, that kind of partnership building within. You, you mentioned data culture. Um, and specifically, you've, you've really talked about the focus of the, the individuals, the, the knowledge, the, the practice of the data scientists, the, the, the people focused on you know, doing the activities. But what about the data culture for the rest of the organization? And, and I asked this because someone asked me the other day, should we be expecting when we look at the data culture that everybody in the organization, no matter who they are, should have some knowledge and understanding of data. Most definitely. Um, really? okay. you, you will hear people call it uh, data literacy or mm -hmm. acumen. Um, I, I forget, uh, uh, they, they quit liking the word uh, literacy because that meant that you were illiterate if you weren't and, <laughs> and people felt insulted. Um, oh no. And, and, and acumen, but, but there should be. Um, Every organization should have, you know, we try to call it the data 101 mm -hmm. to make people realize that there is not a job today where we as humans, both personally and professionally, aren't touched by data or touching data. Um, so, you know, I have a, a, a good friend who is um, writing a book on data literacy. I can't wait till it comes out. Mm -hmm. You know, I'll put a plug out there. Peter Aiken is writing a wonderful book on it. Um, <laughs> I can't wait till it gets published. Uh, <laughs> but it, it, you know, we need to realize we're touching data at all times in our lives. And in an organization, it's important to understand where data fits in. Um, whether you're writing a report, reading a report, um, gathering receipts, digitizing receipts, um, you are serving a role in that. Um, and then understanding the importance, especially in today's world, um, with the, the laws and, and the uh, regulations, understanding the, the rules and regulations around that data. Um, I mean, we've, we've heard a lot in the news over the years about privacy um, laws, and especially, you know, the big uh, social media companies having to be more careful of it, all companies having to be more careful about it. Uh, that is something we all should ask the question. If someone hands me a pile of data, a disk, a drive, a feed, what are the purpose of that data? What am I, what am I allowed to use it for? What was, I, what was I given it for? What was the agreement for what the use was? Um, is there any special handling that I need to worry about it? Is there any retention or destruction? And can I give it to anybody else without violating a, a privilege, a confidence, a law, uh, uh, an agreement? 
because in the early days, you know, oh, and I'm going to date myself so badly. Floppy disk. We just hand a floppy disk <laughs> to each other. Mm. Okay, so I'm old. Uh, yeah, but you couldn't put a lot of information on that floppy disk. You couldn't. So. <laughs> um, we now have technologies where little, little bitty, little bitty drives hold yeah. more information than super computers did when I was when I started working. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that's where the concern comes in is realizing you could be given a lot of information very quickly and understanding the danger of it. You know, people look at all the opportunities, but you need to have that, that understanding of what could go wrong if I don't do this right. Um, and, and that's where we get into the whole topic, which is a, a new topic I, I, I love uh, discussing with people is data ethics, mm-hmm. uh, ethical use of data, ethical use of AI, because it then makes you, um, makes us all need to be a data citizen. You oh, know, okay, I like that. that we're data citizen. Yeah, data citizen, um, yeah. You know, when you, were in, when you were in school, you took civics and citizenship, right? You know, as a good citizen, I shall do these things. As a good data citizen, what should I do? You know, I need to know, you know, what I can and cannot do with it. I need to know who gave it to me and what was the trust they put in me when they gave it to me. Mm-hmm. Do you have, do you have any lessons learned about, because I'm seeing, oh, I've got a lot of questions now. <laughs> I've got a lot of questions now. Do you have any lessons learned around how to expand that data culture? Like, have you, like what worked, what didn't work? So what I found that worked, Mm -hmm. um, and, and just again, just the four simple years, just the four (laughs) simple years, uh, was, I believe getting into the grassroots, um, building, uh, from the bottom up the community, but what I learned, lessons learned, is making sure you appropriately, um, I don't want to call it market, mm-hmm. but socialize to the executives the value of it. Uh, so, you know, that was probably one of the things I could have done better. I could have probably made executives more aware of the importance and spent more time marketing it uh, than spending the time building it with the, with the grassroots and, and, and finding the areas where they needed to work together. Um, but it's a two-way. I, I think that's a lesson learned. Uh, never forget, you've got to, you know, to keep something going and get it funded. And this is where I'm, you know, the scientist in me was not a good business person. Um, it's a real tell. You can have the best idea in the world, but if you can't market it properly, it's never going to go anywhere. Um, and and that that would be my lessons learned, even with culture. It, you know, you can you can sell it to people that they like the idea, but you can't keep it going if you can't market it. So the data citizen is is not just the the stakeholders and those individuals who use the data, but it's it's got to be everybody, including the leadership who may not have recognized how valuable the data was. Right. Yeah. It doesn't mean they need to take classes in data analytics <laughs> and science. Right. Um, it means they understand where they fit in that that data hierarchy. They need to, you know, we used to tell people is if you teach an executive to ask the right questions when they're handed a report. They don't have to know everything, how the report's made, every every algorithm, but they have to ask simple questions of, you know, can I repeat this report, you know, tomorrow? Can I regenerate it the day after that? Is this mm-hmm. the only copy? Where are we storing these once I approve them? Just simple questions that, you know, would, you know, help that whole idea of data management. So throughout this conversation, 
you've portrayed a vision of the chief data officer, that role, as someone who really sits in the middle as this, this pivotal kind of component that's not only building, but also driving that data culture, helping everyone become a data citizen. But then on the other side, it's managing up and constantly working through the marketing and the business cases and educating as well, mm -hmm. you know, to upper management. And then on the other side, there's a lot of sides. And on the other side, on the other side, there's mitigating the risks, you know, data security, data issues, um, and security in the data itself around sharing it, but also security in the data itself around the, the physical storage of it. Correct. Um, this is a really big role. Yeah. Like, and don't forget the technology. Don't oh yeah, and then the, on the, the other side, the CEO yeah. has to balance with the CIO or the chief technology. Uh, sorry, the chief technology officer. Right. The ability to balance the right solutions mm -hmm. to serve the data problems. Um, and so, getting to your, I think you're getting to the point is, how does any one CDO do all that? And and they can't. That's why I said every organization the CDOs are different because at every organization the CDO has to pick which of those roles is the most important. Mm. And, and so you prioritize, you, you, pick the, 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 you pick the duties and the choices that the organization demands of you immediately, the biggest pain points. Uh, and you hope that you can solve one to get to the another. And you hope that you can get a deputy CDO or others to pick up. Um, so you refer to some organizations have chief analytics officers. Mm -hmm. I talked about the data scientists. Uh, some, agent, some agencies, um, the chief analytics officer is the chief data officer. That, that role of a chief analytics officer isn't there yet. Um, and and I, I look forward to seeing that happen because sometimes they'll say, well, the CTO is the chief analytics officer. And I'm like, well, a chief technology officer is supposed to look at the technology, mm -hmm. not the analytics. Um, yeah. and, and so I, I, I hope to see that you know, in government, similar to industry, that we start seeing chief data officers, which get to focus on the governance and the culture um, and the management mechanisms, partnering closely with a chief analytics officer who's working the analytics and the, the ethical use of, of AI so that you know the, the CDO provides that good data um, groundwork that the analytics can be built upon. But it'll, it'll take a while. It's, that's a lot of people and that's a lot of resources. Yeah. As we wrap up today, do you have any parting words of wisdom? Um, other than uh, just keep excited. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know how to, to tell anybody is as long as you, you're solving problems, you're moving forward. Um, and I, I think that's just general advice for, for any CDO is just you know, realize you are serving that agency. Um, and, and it's, you know, it's a big responsibility, but as long as you're serving and solving problems, you're doing your job. Brilliant. Well, thank you again and congratulations. Uh, thank, thank you for you. joining today. Loved it, loved it. I think we should definitely touch base with you in a year from now and see how you've evolved. Most definitely. Who knows what I'll be doing then? You know, uh, <laughs> knowing me, I'll, I'll be off, uh, you know, doing some other data related work. Brilliant. All right. Thanks again. Thank you.